Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to How They Love Mary, a podcast that will help you either begin or deepen your devotion to the Mother of God. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail, bright star of ocean, God's own mother blessed, ever sinless virgin, gate of heavenly rest. Taking that sweet Ave, which from Gabriel came, peace confirm within us, changing Ava's name. Break the captive's fetters, light on blindness pour, all our ills expelling, every bliss implore. Show thyself a mother, may the word divine, born for us thy infant, hear our prayers through thine. Virgin all-excelling, mildest of the mild, freed from guilt, preserve us, pure and undefiled. Keep our life all spotless, make our way secure, till we find in Jesus joy forevermore. Through the highest heaven, to the Almighty Three, Father, Son, and Spirit, one same glory be. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To those who've done the preparation for Marian consecration, according to St. Louis-Marie de Montfort, might recognize that prayer as the Ave Maristella. He includes it as part of the devotions that an individual prays during their preparation for total consecration to Jesus through Mary. We're going to talk a little bit about that title, Stella Maris, later in the show as we speak with Sister Bethany of the Daughters of St. Paul. She tweeted a while back about that title, Star of the Sea, and it was a very beautiful meditation. And of course, Twitter, you're limited with how much characters you can use. And so really wanted to bring Sister Bethany on to talk about that title of Mary, which she says has been recurring in her life. I'd like us to turn now to a weekly highlight of How They Love Mary, and it's our segment, Trending Marian Tweets and Topics. Essentially, this segment of the show, Trending Marian Tweets and Topics, is just going to look at the different ways in which Mary has shown up on social media, what people are saying about the Blessed Mother. It'll be a way for us to unpack some of that stuff that we see, that we hear, that we read. Our first tweet comes from at Father Rocket Dan. I know Father Dan. We went to seminary together. He was a year ahead of me. And he tweeted this, Time to say exactly five Hail Marys for the Pope, for your bishop, for priests in your diocese, for priests in your parish, for vocations to the priesthood. I came across that tweet, and it's a beautiful expression, I think, of Marian devotion, to pray a Hail Mary for a specific intention. And especially with all the crises that have been going on in the church, especially with the clergy sexual abuse scandal that has rocked the church for a few decades now, but really intensified this past year, to pray for the Pope, to pray for your bishop, your priest in your diocese, for priests in your parish, for vocations to the priesthood. That's what we can do with the Hail Mary is that we can make it intentional, that we can ask Mary to pray specifically for a particular intention. There's been a devotion in the church to also pray what's called the Three Hail Mary devotion. It might be assigned every now and again in the confessional. Oftentimes when I assign the Three Hail Marys, I do so with a particular intention. 
It might be for somebody to pray for their mother, their father, and then for their their brothers and sisters. The three Hail Marys I assign might be in honor of Mary's perpetual virginity before, during, and after the birth of Christ. It might be in honor of purity to pray for chastity in mind, body, and soul. It might be to pray for the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Or I might tell someone, pray three Hail Marys and do so naming a virtue you want to grow in. This devotion of praying three Hail Marys dates back to the 13th century to a German Benedictine nun, St. Mechtild of Hackeborn, who received a vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary and who asked St. Mechtilde to pray these three Hail Marys every day. This is what the saint heard Our Lady say to her. I take it from an article on Althea. Yes, I will. But I want you on your part to pray three Hail Marys to me each day. With the first, you will ask that just as God the Father raised me up to a throne of glory without equal, making me the most powerful creature in heaven and on earth, so too I may assist you on earth to strengthen you and drive away from you every power of the enemy. With the second Hail Mary, you will ask that just as the Son of God filled me with wisdom to such an extent that I have more knowledge of the Holy Trinity than all the saints, so too may I help you during your last moments of your life, filling your soul with the light of faith and of true wisdom, so that the shadows of error and ignorance may not darken it. With the third, you will ask that just as the Holy Spirit filled me with the sweetness of his love and has made me so loving that after God I am the sweetest and most merciful, so also may I help you at the hour of your death, filling your soul with such gentleness of divine love that all the sorrow and bitterness of your death may be changed for you into delight. So those three Hail Marys, as revealed to St. Matilda, really talking about our own death. And that's what we call to mind in that Hail Mary that we pray. Pray for us now and at the hour of our death. So praying for particular graces. There are lots of different uh, stories behind the three Hail Marys. And I would just encourage you, we'll put a link to the, this in the show notes, but this article on Althea from August 14th, 2017, the beautiful devotion of three Hail Marys, just to read about it. They also talk about St. Gertrude uh, receiving this devotion as well and St. Alphonsus Liguori and many other saints. So what Father Dan is recommending at Father Rocket Dan, praying these five Hail Marys, really in line with this tradition of praying a series of Hail Marys for a particular intention. Why don't you give it a try? Why don't you do what Father Dan has recommended for us? On Facebook, I came across a post from Alison Gingras from Reconciled to You. She wrote this about the rosary. When I was younger, I thought the rosary was just this boring prayer for old ladies. The older I get, the more I realize the profound wisdom those older women possessed within those beads. A great encouragement I think Alison gives us to see the rosary not just as this devotion for the little old ladies in the parish who pray it before Mass or after Mass, but to see it as a devotion for all of us, that in the rosary we find the richness of the gospel, to meditate on the life of Jesus and Mary, the wisdom that is there, seeing our own life in the rosary mysteries. 
So thank you, Allison, for that wonderful message on Facebook. There were two other uh, kind of trending Marian things that I saw online uh, that were multimedia-based. Father Michael Schmitz, who many of you probably know from his powerful podcasts, from his video uh, called Ascension Presents, in which he tackles a tough question, some difficult questions of faith that we might have. He did an episode on Mary uh, this past week. I took away, uh, as I listened to it, there was one quote that really struck me in particular. Getting to know someone that God loves doesn't take away love. It amplifies it. When he was talking about devotion to Mary, he was saying that when we get to know Mary, it doesn't take away our love of Jesus. It amplifies our love of Jesus. It's kind of what this podcast does. To get to know other people in our Catholic faith, to see how they love Mary. And as we learn from them, it's going to amplify not only our devotion to the Mother of God, but it's going to enhance our love of the Blessed Mother. Some of you might also follow Redeemed Online. Uh, they put out a lot of multimedia too. I'd encourage you to give them a follow. And during Lent, they've been doing some reflections on the Stations of the Cross. And so they had one uh, earlier in the week on the fourth station of the cross, Mary meeting Jesus along the way. It's a beautiful reflection from Tiana Delorge. So I encourage you to maybe give that a listen, to reflect on that station on the cross. And maybe when you go to church sometime and you pray the stations or you look at the stations, just to take a glance at station number four and to see that station where Jesus meets his mother as he's on the way to Calvary. There is one more Marian tweet that I think that we should talk about, and I hesitate to do so because it sparked a lot of controversy on Twitter this last week. It was between two Catholic personalities who went back and forth about a comment that the other had made on a radio show. The one individual was sharing about a statue of the Blessed Mother that she had seen a number of years ago at a Marian art exhibit. And it was a very unique and different statue. It depicted Mary as topless. As I say that, I'm sure modesty red flags are going up and questions are beginning to rise. And rightfully so. Why would Mary be depicted topless? Modesty red flags go up every time that I write an article on Our Lady of La Leche and they put an image of the nursing Madonna there. People comment saying that that image should be removed, that it's not befitting of the Blessed Mother to be depicted in that fashion. And when they make those comments, at least about Our Lady of La Leche and the nursing Madonna, it's really dismissive of Mary's motherhood, of her nursing the Christ child. And that's an image that's been a part of Catholic art for many, many years and subject of Marian devotion at the oldest Marian shrine in St. Augustine, Florida. So why did the statue depict Mary topless? The guest went on to share about the placard that was right next to the statue, which shared about a Marian apparition, a, a private Marian apparition, really a personal dimension, not like Fatima, not like Lourdes, where it took on a very public following, but very private in the sense that the apparition, Our Lady's message, was meant for that individual who received it. Well, that person lived in Africa, was a part of a tribe in one of the countries of Africa 
in which it was very common for women to be topless. That was the way in which they lived their life. And so Mary comes and appears to this individual in a way in which he or she would recognize. But isn't that the case with these Marian apparitions that Mary takes on the cultural context? She appears in a similar dress and fashion. We saw this in Guadalupe that Mary appears really in the the clothing of the Aztecs, all the different symbols that are in that image. She comes and she appears in Rwanda and Cabejo and she comes as an African woman and she stays for hours on end, which would have been customary for the people there. Whereas she appeared for a few moments in some apparitions, she stays for hours conversing in a way in which that culture would have her do. When Mary appeared to Bernadette Subaru, she appeared speaking the dialect of St. Bernadette. Mary appears taking on the culture of the individual. Now, I understand that our modesty red flag should go up when we hear that Mary appeared topless. But if we understand it in that Mary is appearing in this cultural context, I think that should change how we view this apparition, this statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This was normal for that individual. But here we are in our Western mindset. Here we are in a pornified culture. Here we are surrounded by sexual immorality. Here we are having all these people dress immodestly. And so we're very sensitive to those things. But place yourself in that situation in which Mary comes to a culture in which this is very common, very normative. For us, it's outside of our normal. And so it's really hard for us to envision it. I really think it tells us how much this pornified culture has impacted how we view things, how we're not able to appreciate sacred art in this fashion how we maybe even dismiss a Marian apparition because it doesn't fit how we think Mary should appear, that we've put Mary into a box, that she has to follow our parameters. So it limits our openness to the possibility that this apparition might have been legitimate. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the garden. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. It was because of sin, because of the fall that they became aware that they were naked, this time with shame, that they wanted to cover themselves. Think of this culture. They don't wear tops. They don't wear shirts. The women go about topless. They're used to that. It's not a subject of sexual immorality for them. Five, ten years ago, there was something regarding immorality around the Blessed Virgin Mary that outraged people, outraged so many different people. There was an adult magazine, if I recall correctly, that wanted to depict Our Lady of Guadalupe. So they wanted to have a a Mexican model come in and, and really pose in the nude. Well, that in itself is not appropriate. Because individuals are going to look at that and they're going to have lust in their heart and they're going to lust after the woman who is depicted, who is modeling the Blessed Virgin, that was wrong. But the Blessed Virgin coming in a way to a culture that that's not the perceived reality, I think is a little different. What are some things that we can take away? What are some things we can learn from this experience that took place on Twitter? 
this back and forth and people commenting and some people thought it was a scandalous conversation. One person commented about the fact that, well, this can't be a real apparition, that this is diabolical. Okay, maybe it is. Who am I to say that it's not? I'm not the magisterium. You're not the magisterium. The church has given us certain ways in which we can look at Marian apparitions and look at them and to say whether or not we can believe that they're of supernatural origin. Usually a bishop launches a commission to do that, and we don't know if that happened in this case. What we know from this is a simple comment of a statue that a person saw and the placard description that went along with it. We don't know the message Mary spoke. We don't know who the visionary was, or maybe I missed it and I just didn't see it online. But there are lots of facts about this story that we don't know, and so we're making a judgment before we have all of the criteria. Who made us the magisterium to be able to make a decision? But there is sound wisdom that was offered. So here we are. We have this apparition of Our Lady. And so people say, well, maybe this isn't real. And, well, we should approach these things with great hesitation, with reservation, not because it doesn't fit our Western mindset of how Mary should appear, but we should approach all apparitions that aren't approved in a similar fashion. In fact, I advise people usually only to follow approved Marian apparitions. There are lots of apparitions that are ongoing, yes. And there are lots of adherents, lots of followers. People go on pilgrimage there. But I had this realization when I was in Lourdes back in 2016. I said, why would I take pilgrims anywhere else but to come here to experience the tranquility of the grotto to go into the healing waters. Why would I take anybody anywhere else than to go to an approved Marian apparition that the church has said that this is real? There's a lot, really, that we could say about this situation that arose on social media. I share my own insights just a little bit to say, I think our culture, the pornified culture, is impacting this. I don't think that we should make a decision. We should leave that to the church and we should stay true to approved Marian apparitions. I think those are the takeaways that we should have from this exchange online. And with that, we bring to a close trending Marian tweets and topics. Next, we'll discuss Mary's Star of the Sea with our guest, Sister Bethany of the Daughters of St. Paul. She describes that title of Mary, and then we'll also look at the many ways that Sister Bethany loves the Blessed Virgin.
I'm so excited to talk with Sister Bethany of the Daughters of St. Paul about a tweet that I saw that she made about a week ago now. It was about Our Lady Star of the Sea. I think I met Sister Bethany back at the Institute on Religious Life when they had their meeting in Chicago at Mundelein Seminary and was just very impressed by her zeal for spreading the faith. And she's very popular on Twitter, lots of followers, and I'm sure maybe you know who Sister Bethany is. But if you don't, I'd encourage you to look her up and to get to know her content and what she shares online. She's currently stationed out in the D.C. area doing some studies and uh, happy to discuss with her today about her own Marian devotion and about her vocation. So welcome to the show, Sister Bethany. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on uh, and talk to you guys about, yeah, vocations and our Mama Mary. She's a very special person in my life and somebody who I haven't always had a very close relationship with. So um, I'm excited to like delve into this and talk about it. I would (laughs) definitely be interested in hearing about that. So, well, good. Maybe... (laughs) Just to give a a background of who you are, of course, you belong to the Daughters of St. Paul. Some people might say, I don't know who the Mm -hmm. Daughters of St. Paul are. So maybe just how did you come to discern your religious vocation and discern a community? What led you there? Sure, yeah. So I, um, just like a little backstory about me, I'm the oldest of six kids. I grew up in Maryland, kind of in a farming area. And um, my family was Catholic, we went to church every Sunday, uh, we were raised in the faith, which is beautiful, um, and the first time that, like, I met a religious sister was when my mom signed me up for a class in eighth grade at my parish, and she just kind of, like, told me I was going, and I walked in, and it was the first time I recall seeing a sister in habit. My mom tells me that I've met none before, like, when I was little, but this is the first time I really recall, and, like, it struck me, um, like seeing a religious sister, somebody who had totally dedicated their life to the Lord. Um, And the other thing that struck me when I met this religious sister for the first time, and the sisters after that, it was like a six-week class, um, the thing that really struck me was their joy and their peace and like how much they loved the church, how much they loved Jesus, and how much they loved us. That really came through with all of the sisters that we met. It was different communities every week, and they were all completely different people, but they all um, had this same love and the same joy and the same happiness. And that was something that, as a 13-year-old, like, sitting on the floor of the parish center was like, that's really interesting and really cool. And, like, I want that. Like, I want what that happiness or that joy is. And, like, maybe I should look into this religious life thing. <laughs> um, and so there were a couple um, of religious communities. I think we were handed, like, a magazine or something. Um, that had like pictures and a description of the different communities. And I was flipping through it. And because I'm the oldest of six, I love children. Um, I'm from a big family and we go visit my grandparents and my great grandparents were around. So I also loved like the elderly. Um, I loved, I thought maybe at one point I wanted to be a teacher. So I'm like flipping through all of this and I'm, I'm seeing all these different religious communities and it's like, those, they're so beautiful and like, I picked out a couple that I liked. I wrote to some. Um, But there was one in particular that caught my eye. And it was this nun with a video camera. And like like an intense TV studio video camera. Um, And it was so like striking to me because this sister was like actively working. Like you could tell that she was actually doing her ministry when this picture was 
being taken. It wasn't like some of those staged photos I had seen in the magazine. Not that those are bad, but <laughs> but I um but I was just really impressed by um by this picture and it led me to read the description and it was the daughters of St. Paul. And it talked about how the daughters of St. Paul were to be St. Paul living today. And so that meant evangelization through the media because St. Paul used the media of his time. And so the daughters of St. Paul refused the media of their time. Um, and as I got to know the sisters, I ended up writing to them. They invited me to come visit. And that was like the beginning of the end. <laughs> um, and I, uh, yeah, so I ended up like just getting to know the sisters and our mission of evangelization um, in the media and like what that means and what that looks like. And our founder, Blessed James Alberione, was always on the forefront. He was always saying, whatever media comes along, use it for the glory of God, use it um, for good, make reparation for bad media and put good media out there. Um, and so, yeah, it's not uncommon to find our sisters like, we were founded 100 years ago when books and magazines and newspapers. So we started that. Our sisters still do that. But it's not uncommon for us to do, like, radio and television. Um, it's also appropriate that our sisters are on Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook and stuff like that. Um, so you'll find the Daughters of St. Paul using whatever media people are using today. Um, and that's our mission, is just to bring Jesus, bring Jesus there, bring Jesus into the hearts and homes of people and whatever mode of communication they're engaging in. Um, yeah, so it's like, that's a little bit about our community and um, what we're called to do in the church. It's pretty unique. And that was something that really struck me um, as a young person. And it's still so beautiful to watch my sisters who have really lived um, a variety of experience and have walked through like just this like myriad of, you know, like the media is changing so fast and like what's, fascinating and everybody's using today might not be what we're using tomorrow and watching my sisters and even myself like adapt to the ever-changing um modes of communication is so beautiful um and so necessary even so, those podcasts you could say you know there's like a podcast revolution out there right now everybody's doing a I podcast it's the next it. new thing <laughs> So it, it totally is. So like when I'm working a lot, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. So this is great. I'm so excited to be invited on. I've been on a couple now and it's such a fun. It's so fun. And it's so beautiful. And a lot of people are consuming like information and media this way. And I, I love it. You talk about the Daughters of St. Paul doing new media and all the different ways, the different platforms that they're on. And really, that's what Bishop Barron talks about, finding new expressions and mm -hmm. using the new media and all of these things to be able to evangelize and to share the faith. And how nice it is on all these different platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever, Instagram that you see the life of a religious sister. You see them, how they serve God, how they love others, and, and living the gospel. One of the things that I noticed when, when I follow the Daughters of St. Paul on Twitter, because I follow a, a good number of your community on social media, mm -hmm. is that I think you all adopt somebody in the secular culture, maybe some stars or Hollywood personalities or whatever, mm -hmm, that you mm -hmm. adopt them and you're really praying for their conversion. Is that true? And maybe could you share who you're praying for? Sure. Yeah. So it's something that our community, we pray for those who influence the media and those who create content. 
Um, so it's not just like putting good content out there, but it's also making reparation for whether it's bad content or praying for those who have such a large influence over the culture. Um, like, I mean, you, you see so many people obsessed with like what the Kardashians are doing or is Taylor Swift coming out with a new album? Gosh, I hope she is. Um, but like, she, like so many people have such a big influence. And so that's why it's part of our charism to really pray for those who are also in the media. So a lot of our sisters pray for not just like celebrities and influencers themselves, but also like people like CEOs. So like people are like some of our sisters are praying for like Mark Zuckerberg or um, praying for like the, the CEO of like, whether it's Apple or Google or Facebook or Twitter, like, the sisters are praying for all of those people um, to make good choices, to make things that are um, fruitful and good for the soul. Um, but the people that I'm praying for, I, I'm a huge fan of the music industry. I always have my, both of my parents, my dad's a musician, my mom's a singer. Um, so music has been a big part of my life. I'm also a musician. So um, the people that I've prayed for consistently since I've entered are Miley Cyrus, Taylor Swift, and Katy Perry. So those are the three I've, I really kind of adopted. Even I like to tell people, I'm like, I got Miley through her twerking phase, <laughs> like, or Jesus, <laughs> Jesus did. Um, because it just, they need so much prayer. Like, that's a lot of pressure on them. And there's so much, I like, I can't even imagine being in the industry at the level that they're, that they are. And so I pray for them. I pray that they make you know, good decisions and good music and lyrics that, are uplifting um, more than tearing down. So, yeah, so those are the three, those are the three that I pray for pretty consistently. And then there are others, like sometimes, like I'll notice Kylie Jenner, like pops up on, you know, my timeline or on like the Snapchat news feed or whatever. And so she pops up a bunch, like I'll pray for her or, um, you know, whoever it is, whatever celebrity is making a splash (laughs) in the media that week, I might add them to the list. Yeah. And the beauty of that is, is they probably have no idea that there's a religious sister mm-hmm. who's praying for them and for their conversion, their salvation, that they might come to know mm-hmm. the love of God. I'm a big Billy Joel fan. And so whenever nice. Sirius XM has Billy Joel channel, I love listening to the uh-huh. Billy Joel channel. And then you'll hear Billy Joel talk about different things, you know, his life. And he's pretty much an atheist. And so... Uh, in the spirit of the Dars of St. Paul, I decided to start praying for Billy Joel that he might, you know, know the Lord, you know, and that he'll fall in love imagine, with God. Right. Imagine if all the Catholics in the world just chose like one person to intentionally pray for. Like, and I'm talking like musicians, um, social media creators, in, YouTube influencers, um, people in the tech world, people in the entertainment world. Like, what if like every Catholic just adopted one person? to like pray for like that would be so epic (laughs) it would definitely do something and change the world and we talk about mary and when mary appeared in my own diocese at the champion shrine uh the shrine called the national shrine of our lady of good help mary said to adele i am the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners and really we join mary in her prayer for the conversion of sinners when we do those uh, things when we offer intentions and pray specifically for certain individuals and you know mary is what caught my eye with your twitter this past week and and what i want mm-hmm. to talk with you about you made this tweet you said mary star of the sea you put some emoticons, emojis. Whatever <laughs> storm of life you find yourself in, 
Mary, Star of the Sea, and Our Mother will guide you through it. And then you did kind of a thread and you said, she had been showing up under this title a lot in my life recently. And also I found this picture of her and I'm obsessed. And it's a very beautiful image that you presented of Our Lady Star of the Sea. So maybe can you just share a little bit about what this title might mean for you or, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, what what does this title mean for you? Sure, yeah. So Mary is kind of um, just in general someone who has more recently shown up in my life. Um, there wasn't anything before that was like, I was anti-Mary. It was just more like I didn't really connect with her all that much. I didn't understand who she was. Um, I didn't understand her role in the church. I didn't understand her role in my life. I knew she was like a very pretty lady. She was Jesus' mom. And like that was nice. And like that was about all I, I, I knew or understood of her. Um, but really she has, especially in the last year, has really um, showed up for me. Um, in ways that, you know, I didn't see coming, actually. Um, and, like, sometimes, you know, all of us experience this natural ebb and flow of the spiritual life, and um, or sometimes there's, like, an external event maybe in your life that makes it hard to connect with Jesus or even, like, God the Father. Um, and even as a religious sister, like, I've experienced, these things. And I find that it's in these moments um, that Mary shows up for me in a, in a really big way. Um, and she's one that kind of journeys with me. And she's one that like, not only journeys, but she sits with me. Like there are times where like, I know my prayer has felt like dark and dry at times. And Mary just, I feel like she just kind of enters the picture and just sits next to me. You know, she just is there as a presence, as a mother. Um, and Mary started to see is one who she kind of blipped into my life and postulancy. Um, and I was like, what a cool patronage. Like, I really like that. Um, but then I kind of lost, um, not track of it, but it was just kind of like, it didn't really pop up again until this last year. Um, I had kind of, I experienced something last year that left me reeling and I had a really hard time praying and connecting with Jesus and God, the father. And um, when I went to chapel, it was all I could do just to be there. And I felt like Mary as a mother just like came and sat next to me. And like she was able to kind of like see, see through the waves and the storm and whatever it is. I kind of felt like I was in the middle of the sea in this teeny, teeny, tiny boat. And there was like this giant ocean of, I didn't even know what it was. It was just fear and scary. And I felt like the waves were blocking my view of the Lord. And it was Mary who at one point I just, it was all I could do really just to show up in chapel. And I feel like the blessed mother would just like kind of accompany me to chapel. And she, um, I feel like at one point she said to me, like, and when I say like she says to me, it's not that like I hear a voice speaking or anything. It's just kind of like in my heart as I pray, I, I feel her really close to me. And I remember at one point just being like, I call her mama because she really is a mama. So I was like, mama, it feels like too much. Like there's just so much. I feel like the waves are kind of crashing into my boat and I can't get the bucket, you know, to go fast enough to get the water out of my boat. Um, it's just, there's, there are too many things. And I, I felt like she, sometimes Mary just has to tell it, tell it to you straight. And Mary had said, she says to me, 
you know, Jesus walks on water and I'm the star of the sea. Like, we got this. Like, girl, you're going to be fine. <laughs> like, so she's been one that's really like, as the star of the sea has really guided me through. Um, like, whatever, the, whatever wave is blocking my vision from Jesus, like, she points the way. Like, she's the star that guides um, the way, even and especially in the midst of the chaos and the storm of life. And, and like the sea, like, crashes time and time again, like, she brings me back time and time again. And, like, the other thing that I love about her is that she always brings us back to Jesus. It never ends with her. Um, it, she's always pointing the way to Jesus. So she's, she's a star. She's the, she's the one who leads us to the sun. She's the one, um, yeah, who guides us on our way, on our journey, even when it feels like there's, it's just darkness and chaos and you can't find the way to go. Like she, she is the way, um, to the father. She's the way to Jesus's heart. Um, yeah. And so that, that's kind of what I was like feeling when I was, when I was posting that. Wow. You know, and I think that, of course, this devotion to Mary, Star of the Sea, it has a very nautical origin. It was the fact mm-hmm. that Mary, that they would implore her intercession, that they would ask her to grant them safe passage, that they would okay. reach the harbor. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if you go to Montreal, for example, there's a, a chapel actually called Notre Dame de Bon Secours, Our Lady of Good Help. It's right on the St. Lawrence Seaway. And there are all these replicas of boats that are up there in the ceiling. And people would leave a boat there to say, Mary guided me here. And the first thing you see uh, as you come into the port is this huge statue of Our Lady. And so I think this is really the, the origin of the devotion, Star of the Sea. And then you have St. Bernard of Clairvaux who wrote, you know, look up to the star, call out to Mary. In times of trials and tribulations, look up to the star, call out to Mary. And so he even had this mm-hmm. sense of Mary guiding. And, you know, it was very beautiful because you say, whatever storm of life you find yourself in, Mary, Star of the Sea, and our mother will guide you through it. And that was your experience. Even this past year, yeah. you've been in, you know, in this in this spiritual experience with the Lord and you've looked to Mary and in her you found comfort and she's been guiding you and she's been guiding you every day to chapel and all of these different ways. And so I guess mm-hmm. uh, there are lots of people out there who are in different situations and uh, maybe your testimony can help them by saying, well, maybe I need to somehow allow Mary to guide me, to be the star, to lead me to Jesus so that I can reach mm-hmm. safe harbor. Of course, our travel is to the kingdom of heaven, and that's the star, That's the where Mary the star is guiding us, always wanting us to, to reach our safe harbor at the gates of heaven. Right, yeah. And she's one, she, like her whole purpose is oriented towards bringing us back to Jesus. And yeah, and so it's just like, just this guiding mother, this gentle, loving mother who's, she's also got some, she's got some spice to her too. Just like, you know, she's like, I got this. Like, you know, I'm the star of the sea. Jesus walks on water. Like, just, I've got this. Just take my hand. One of the sisters that I, I used to live with, she would always say, cling to the Blessed Mother's skirts with both hands. <laughs> She'll get you through. <laughs> so I like that image. And I feel like I'm like, kind of like, I don't know what to do. It's like, okay, cling to the Blessed Mother with both hands. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you, you made a tweet actually earlier today. And uh, you said, mm-hmm. I, um, just visiting my favorite little chapel at the National Shrine. And it's Our Lady of Sorrows, or it's actually the Pieta of Mary holding the lifeless body of mm-hmm. Jesus. 
with the cross yeah. and the crown of thorns. And he said, I think I'm going to do a little thread on Our Lady of Sorrows closer to Holy Week. Now, I'll let you do that thread, but any initial thought that you have about <laughs> Our Lady of Sorrows? I don't want to take away your sure, your sure. steam, but maybe any thought as we're in land so and we think I, we about can Mary. We have it on multiple platforms. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, no, I um, Our Lady of Sorrows is one that has really, like, this Lent especially um, has really become a companion for me on the journey. And I go to school at Catholic University, and sometimes I'll park in the Basilica parking lot and, like, go into the shrine for a little while um, before or after class, and I'll sit at Our Lady of Sorrows just for, sometimes it's just five minutes, sometimes it's half an hour, sometimes I'll sit there for an hour. Like, um, But she's quickly become my favorite little chapel there. Um, and I think part of it is like kind of in that same theme of just like, um, when I look at the Pietà, when I look at Our Lady of Sorrows, um, I see a woman who there's a lot of grief in her, like there's a lot of human grief. Um, but the beautiful thing is, is that she holds in her hands almost proof that God has abandoned her. You know, like it's, she is holding her dead son. She's holding Jesus who was alive yesterday and now his, his body is dead. And she's sitting there in grief. But I also see in that face, the one at the Basilica is especially beautiful because she's looking up. She has his gaze towards heaven of just like, and yet she trusts. And yet she, she grieves in hope. Um, even though she has quote unquote proof um, of, of death, of abandonment of God almost, um, she still lives in hope and she still lives um, trusting in the Lord's promise, still trusting in the yes that she made, you know, 33 years prior was still going to be fulfilled. Um, and that God, that same God who said, do not be afraid through the message of the angel was the same God that, that, was with her in that grieving, horrible moment where she had to hold her dead son. Um, and so, yeah, so the, Our Lady of Sorrows has really been one that's kind of been teaching me. It's like, even if, you know, Jesus feels gone, or even those moments in which you feel like there's, you know, not a lot of hope, it's like there's still hope because God is the same God. Um, he is faithful. And, like, can our fidelity, like, can we also be faithful in his fidelity? Um, because God really never abandons us. Maybe to our eyes it seems like it, but he, he never does. Um, and so I think that's what Our Lady has, has been teaching me this Lent. Um, she's one that I've really been sitting with um, and praying with. How beautiful. So it's you been know, a, these, a beautiful journey, yeah. These two titles of Mary that we talked about with you today, Stella Mara, Star of the Sea, and then just looking mm-hmm. at the Pieta, they're very real mm-hmm. images uh, that I think yeah. our listeners, people can take away and say, like, this somehow relates to my life right now. Or when I'm in a moment of sorrow, I can look to Mary and I can, you know, maybe she can be that star guiding us in a moment of sorrow to find hope that she can be right. there to bring life out of death and uh, really to provide that hope that we really need mm-hmm. in those moments. Right. And she's the one that, like, she sits with us in it. As the star of the sea, like she, she stands with us in the crashing waves and the water and the uncomfort, the discomfort of all of that. And Our Lady of Sorrow sits with us in the grief and in the darkness and in the, the. She sits with us at the foot of the cross. 
like when we're sitting there at the foot of the cross, like she's right there. Like she doesn't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, she's someone that I just see a lot of like faithful perseverance and just sitting in the hard things, like doing the hard things because it's part of life. Like we can't just like waltz through life um, being like, there are no hard things and everything will be fine because God is good. Okay. Yes. God is good, but things aren't always going to be easy. There's going to be hard stuff. Um, and I feel like Mary, she's lived, she's lived all of it. Um, so what better person to, to walk with us in it um, than Mary? And the beauty of sitting with Mary at the foot of the cross is that we also know that Jesus rises from the dead. And uh, right. St. John Paul II, St. Ignatius, they all want us to meditate on the fact that Mary or that Jesus probably appeared to his blessed mother uh, in those immediate moments after the resurrection to provide the great Mm -hmm, hope mm -hmm. of the resurrection. Or even if Jesus didn't appear to Mary, since this isn't scriptural, it's extra canonical, it's only a point of our meditation. Well, uh, what we can think here is that, well, Mary went to the tomb, that she was there, that she was a witness of the empty tomb at the very least. And of course, I'm sure as Jesus went about 40 days after the resurrection, that she did see him. She was reunited uh, with her son during that time. And so mm-hmm. so all mm-hmm. very beautiful images for us to meditate upon and think about during this season of Lent. What I'd like to do now is just quickly move into what I call the Marian Profile. And it's simply uh, going through a list of questions. You can do it rapid fire if you want. If there's something you want to elaborate on, you can feel free to do so. But just a a lot of different questions to help us realize that there are many different ways we can love Mary. How about your favorite title of Mary? Oh, right now, Star of the Sea is my favorite, I think. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I know that your community, I think, has something with the Queen of the Apostles. Is that a Queen of Apostles. I know. I was like, if I don't mention this, I might get murdered by my sisters. But, but, um, yeah, no, Queen of Apostles is our patronage in which we um, ask the Blessed Mother um, to pray for us. She's one of the ones who was with the Apostles in the upper room um, in the Seneca. And then our, if you don't mind, I just want to, like, talk about who she is just for, like, a minute. Sure. <laughs> um, but uh, Queen of Apostles, in our images of her as a Pauline family, has Our Lady holding Jesus out. Um, and Jesus is a chi- a small child, almost an infant. We can, like, hold his head up. But a small child, she's holding him out, like, from her body. There's no part of her body other than her hands that are holding him. And she's holding him out, like, almost to the world, being like, like, here's my son, like, for you. Um, and so she's giving him to the world. And um, in Jesus's hands is the scroll, which is the word, um, because our community is based on the word in the Eucharist. And so Jesus himself is Eucharist, and then the word in the scroll. Um, and so Mary, Queen of the Apostles, and each of us are called to be apostles and disciples. And so she is our queen and our mother. Um, so we, we implore her under that patronage a lot. Beautiful. How about a favorite sacramental? Is there a, a sacramental oh. that you wear, like a scapular, miraculous medal, or anything like that? I have worn a miraculous medal for, oh, probably 15 years, since I was a teenager. Um, don't know why. I think I was given one once, and I was like, this seems like a good thing to wear. <laughs> so it's something that I have worn consistently every day of my life for the last at least 15 years. Which is so cool. Uh, besides the rosary, a favorite Marian prayer? 
um, I love singing the um, Salve Regina with my sisters and I pray. Sure. Um, so, yeah. When you pray the rosary, is there any tip that you can give to people who may who might struggle with praying the rosary? Any helpful um, hint? For a long, honestly, I have had so much trouble with the rosary in the past. It is, it's a prayer that's difficult for me to pray, especially in a group, um, because I'm so auditory. I have a hard time concentrating because I'm just listening to voices. <laughs> um, so I think for me, one of the things that I find really helps me is actually walking while I pray the rosary. Um, it's really helpful for me um, walking. A lot of times the other thing that helps me is uh, oh. in different languages sometimes because that also helps me. Okay. Um, so I can pray the rosary in Spanish, English, and Italian. So sometimes I'll do like different decades in different languages. So um those are two quick tips that I that I like to that I utilize a lot. <laughs> sure, you know, actually, my very first article that I ever wrote for a website called Catholic Exchange was called "Walking with Mary," and it was reasons mm -hmm. why we pray the Rosary and walk. You know, in the sense that there are people all over who are praying the Rosary, or there are people that are um, migrants, and so we're kind of walking with them. Or that Mary herself, she was mm -hmm. a woman on a journey that she went to visit mm -hmm. her cousin Elizabeth to Bethlehem, and so forth. And so, uh, yeah, that's been a topic that I've I've thought about. I, I love praying the rosary with my dog and walking, but the dog is uh, 13 years old, and so we can only do two decades together. Then we have to come home. Oh, okay. <laughs> <You know. laughs> How about uh, a favorite Marian Bible passage? Oh, um, oh, you're going to make me choose. <laughs> I mean, honestly, um. Oh, man, there are so many good ones. I think, okay, so for me, this is something I wrote about as a postulant, and it still sticks with me to this day, the Annunciation. Um, just that, like, when the angel Gabriel comes to her and asks her to be the mother of the Lord, and just, I I love the, it's a single face <laughs> on the page before she says, be done unto me according to thy word, before she proclaims her fiat. It's just that there's a, there's a breath in which, I, I envision almost like the whole of creation kind of like held its breath in anticipation. And that's what St. Bernard like, says in that beautiful meditation mm -hmm. that we read in Advent. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. How about a favorite Marian yeah. apparition? Oh, um, I think Our Lady of Guadalupe. I visited her, made a big impact on my life um, as a question. So Our Lady of Guadalupe. Beside a Marian apparition site, are there any Marian shrines that you've been to? Anyone that has you have a fondness for? Um, you know, I, I think Our Lady of Guadalupe is like one of the only big ones that I've been to. I've been to Our Lady of Snows. Oh yeah, in Illinois. Yeah. Um, if you want to call the national shrine Silka. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I, <laughs> I would argue that it is in a sense because they have all those altars downstairs to the Blessed Mother. And so oh my it's and definitely, <laughs> definitely a place of prayer yeah. to Our Lady. So, okay. Is there any Marian book that you've read that you would recommend? Oh, yeah. Okay. So Father Gately's book, 33 Days to Morning Glory, was a huge Im impact on um, – me coming to know the Blessed Mother 
Um, really loved her. I also love Carol Hauslander's book, The Read of God. That's another really, really good one. Um, yeah, and the last one I'll mention is Walking with Mary by Dr. Edward Sree. That's another really beautiful book if you haven't read that one. Yes, anything from Dr. Edward Sree, I highly recommend. I think he is one oh, of the... Oh, yeah. I have I have Jesus and the Jewish Roots of, of Mary sitting on my... No, that's Brant Petrie. That's Brant Petrie. That's okay. That's Brant Petrie. Sorry about that. But, uh, <laughs> He's also good. <laughs> he is. I think that Dr. Edward Sree is probably one of the best effective communicators and teachers of the faith today, especially as a layman. Uh, I just oh gosh, love yeah. all his content. Um, any Marian painting that you're drawn to? Um, you know, Maybe okay, that... so the the one that I posted, I was going to say the image that I posted on, on my Twitter feed is really impacting my life a lot right now. Um, but the other one that I love is Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, which isn't a painting, it's a miraculous image. Yes. But... <laughs> Who painted it? Yeah. God. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, great. Well, those are all my questions for for uh, the Marian profile. So helps us just to get to know different titles, different books, to be exposed to a lot of different things about the Blessed Mother. So I'd like to thank you so much, Sister Bethany, for coming on. It was a bit longer than I anticipated, but you know, when you're talking about godly things and very interesting things, I don't, I, I don't <laughs> think time is a factor, that everything has to be shared. So thank you so much for your time and your commitment today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been delightful. Well, so again, I'd like to offer my thanks to Sister Bethany, to her religious community, the Daughters of St. Paul, that gave her permission to be a guest on this uh, new podcast. Also to Anna Nuzzo for the music that she has provided me to play within this podcast. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. It is my hope and prayer that it has either been the beginning or the deepening of your love for the Blessed Mother. You can follow me, Father Edward, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at FR Edward Looney. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.